both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to the Bizval podcast and this is going to be a goodie because we are talking not just about the process of exiting or the build up to exit but actually something called life after exit and for so many entrepreneurs it feels like that might be a very distant dream you know is this ever going to happen to me am I ever going to exit and what does that life even look like what is a life what do people do with their spare time these are the things that entrepreneurs have to learn about when they actually eventually exit their businesses successfully so Attila Kadiko is here to explain this to us and Attila, thank you so much for your time today. It's going to be incredibly interesting, I think. And uh, maybe before we jump into it, maybe a little bit more about you, you know, who you work with, um, and then we can dive into what life after exit looks like. So thanks a lot for the time and the opportunity to join you today. I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, grew up in the UK, hence the British accent. I've been in uh, financial services for over 20 years now. My background is in emerging market equities. I used to run a um, international uh, emerging markets desk. My last position was with Credit Agricole Chevro, and uh, that's where I actually met my uh, South African wife and ended up in Cape Town 12 years ago. And we formed Levantine & Co with my partner, uh, Laurent Jolie, who's also got a very similar story to me, except he's French. Also met his wife in London and um, he is by, by profession an um, asset manager. And we formed Levantine & Co as a Cat 1, Cat 2 in South Africa, uh, where we manage portfolios for high net worth individuals completely offshore. So what we say is segregated individual portfolios. Fantastic. So I've got to tell you, Turkey is right at the top of my bucket list for travel. <laughs> so It's a great destination. Literally, it's a fantastic holiday destination. I think that's honestly top of the list for me. So uh, that's, that's, quite, that's quite brilliant, actually. I'll, I'll have to reach out to you when I plan that trip and you can give me some, some insight. Do you go back quite often? Um, we have quite a big client base there as well. We're not actually focused in South okay. Africa. We're quite international. We're also regulating the UK, I actually travel quite a bit so fortunately every six weeks or so i'm in um, turkey yeah ah, so cool so nice to be able to do international stuff and of course it gives you proper context to what you see in south africa and of course that helps you with i suppose giving clients some context to how big the world is because we tend to forget that south africa is an important country for sure but it's a very tiny part of the uh, international story and i think you know, I'm lucky in that I get to work, uh, most of the work I do is actually sort of public markets and that kind of stuff. And, you know, what's interesting is it shows you how broad the universe is out there. And I think for entrepreneurs, they tend to be incredibly focused on what they are building. They have to be right by design because otherwise it won't work. Do you find when you're advising entrepreneurs that they kind of come at you with, I don't want to say tunnel vision because that sounds negative and I don't mean it in a disparaging way. It's a forced tunnel vision. Otherwise, how do you build what you've built? But, you know, do they kind of come to you and suddenly you can open their eyes to actually this is the way to manage your money in a diversified way 
Whereas so many entrepreneurs have been so hyper-focused on one asset for 20 years. It's quite a different way of thinking. It is. You've kind of hit the nail on the head. Tunnel vision is actually a really good term. It's not bad because they're so focused on what they're doing. And they also come with a lot of confidence because of, you know, at the end of the day, the entrepreneurs we speak to are successful entrepreneurs. You know, they've, they've built, built successful businesses. And, but there are ways to, if you're able to identify with your client and explain things in a way that kind of relate to their own business, then they understand where you're coming from with the principles. For example, diversification, you know, it's, it's one I had to take some time to think about. But if you explain to a client, well, you're not going to build a business that's dependent on one or two clients on your end, you know, your whole revenue, you want to uh, diversify your revenue base as much as possible, keep the same margin, but diversify it. And that's what kind of like what you do with a portfolio. And when you explain it like that, people understand. And so much of it is risk reward, right? And that's the most basic concept in finance, but one that isn't necessarily well understood. And, and entrepreneurs are used to building businesses that can grow 20 or 30% in a year, and typically do grow 20 or 30% in a year. If they've managed to sell them it's because the thing is still, you know, growing decently or they've accepted a relatively modest price. I mean, that's also reasonable. You know, global markets, when you take that, that little nest egg that you've now created from selling your business and you invest it publicly, 10% a year, 12% a year, that's kind of good returns, right? And that's also got to be a little bit of a mindset shift, I would think, is to, to get entrepreneurs to realize it's a different ball game completely. Uh, and I suppose linked to that is the question of how often do you find that entrepreneurs are then you know, that risk-seeking nature doesn't just go away because you've sold your business. I don't think it just switches off that night. And, you know, maybe you take a few months of just playing golf and catching up with family and doing the stuff that you couldn't do for so long. But at some point in time, that risk-taking nature, it's still there. You know, how do you manage that with entrepreneurs? Do you try and save them from themselves in some respects from going off and seeking out, you know, the next big thing with a too big a portion of their money? I'd love to know a little bit more about that mindset and approach. It's again a very good question. And, um, well, there's the profile of the entrepreneur is important. If you meet someone who has come to a certain age and, you know, they've, they've had it with the stresses of working for 30 years, 40 years in their business, and they're very happy to not even sell, maybe just pass on to professional management, etc., you know, it's, it, it really depends. Younger individuals are more exactly what you're talking about. If someone has been successful, had a business, they've exited in argument's sake in their 40s or maybe early 50s, and they go, oh, I'm really good at what I do. Now, and they go and try to jump into, we can't stop them, but this is a huge risk because... Uh, until you make a mistake, you don't realize all the conditions, all the factors that contributed you to being successful. You know, even timing's a part of it. And you do come across a lot of investors who suddenly believe they're great uh, VC investors because they were great in their own business. That is, that, that is one of the uh, traps. One thing I would say is, you know, if you have a successful business, stick to that business there's no point in going and investing in other businesses you don't know you know if it's if it's doing well if it's growing you don't necessarily have to exit it you could partially exit it we have clients who went public 
we actually have a large plastics company where the owner went um, public. You know, he got his liquidity from there, but he's still involved in the business. So I think one really has to align, instead of preempting and saying, this is the solution, trying to figure out, okay, what do I want in my life? What is it, the reasons I want to exit? Or what is the reason? Is it time? Is it liquidity? Is it, you know, and accordingly do the right solution uh, and also plan for it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the concept of an exit, you've got to be really, really careful as to your reasons. I just to echo what you're saying, you know, are you just tired? Because that's a very different issue. You know, if you're just tired and you've built a business that can be sold, then you've probably also built a business that could get a manager in. You know, by definition, if it can be sold, it needs to be able to be managed by someone else. And if that's not possible, then you probably don't have something that is sellable. And I think the heartbreak for a lot of entrepreneurs is, you know, they wake up one day and they've decided, okay, it's time to go. I'm done with this. But they haven't spent the three or four years before that actually preparing. And they don't realize that that is the sort of runway to get this right. You know, succession planning, systems, processes. A business only has value if the owner can walk away. I mean, I'm sure that's been your experience as well in the market. Yeah, they have to, one, like you said, they have to have the systems in place. The business can't be dependent on them. There has to be value in the business. Secondly, is it's, you know, um, part of this podcast is they have to know the value of the business. They understand where the value of the business is coming from and look at how they are exiting. There's a, something I've noticed specific to South Africa. There's a lot of trend in, towards private equity. You know, private equity makes sense in certain circumstances. It makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't make sense in every circumstance. So you have to understand, all right, who am I selling to? Am I going to sell to my management? Am I going to sell to private equity? Do I need growth capital? Am I going to sell to one of my competitors and remain a mi minority shareholder, 100%? There's, you have to consider all those factors, I think, before you exit. And plus, structure the exit correctly for tax efficiency and the succession planning. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of structural things that come with this, right? And that's where you would jump in as well in terms of helping these founders either externalize their wealth or a portion of their wealth. I mean, the overarching message, I think, for founders is just managing your wealth post-exit and even on the way to exit, dividends, etc. I mean, one would hope that, you know, over that period of time, there's been saving, there's been investing, there's been that kind of thing. But I think it is also true that, you know, once the business is exited, suddenly a lot more focus can be put on a lot of the sort of wealth management type activities. It is a very different way of thinking. I like the point you made earlier around, you know, there's almost this natural decision of, okay, I've now, you know, I've done it once, I've made this work, now I can be a VC investor. And unfortunately, as many learn the hard way, there's actually a very, very large difference between operating a business and spotting gaps in the market and, and doing it yourself versus investing in someone else. Those are actually not the same skill set, right? And the investing skill set means you need to be able to weigh up that opportunity against a lot of other investment opportunities out there, whether in the public markets or otherwise. Operating a business is, is quite different. And, and what I often find is you speak to successful founders, absolutely, but they don't necessarily understand metrics like return on capital and that kind of thing. So they, they understand how to build a profitable business. They understand how to please their customers, how to tweak the product, how to market, all the stuff that they need to make it work. They absolutely understand that. But investing is about understanding returns, 
return on investment, return on capital. And that's a different skill set. Yeah, and something important is I'm also going to touch on a point you made earlier about the return you get on your business compared to return on investing. Now, when you, when you have a business, you have a concentration, like it or not, and we're talking SMEs here, you know, you're potentially providing a specific service for a specific client base, uh, you're maybe at a specific geography, and so you have a lot of concentrated risks, plus you're managing it full-time. It's a full, literally a full-time business to create those returns you're getting on your business, and they're never guaranteed. There's a lot of events that can happen, COVID for example, that put a spanner in the works. And so you can see this in the longevity of businesses. If you look at the average lifespan of a business, it changes from country to country, sector to sector. They're not infinite. And uh, there's that saying, everything with time becomes a toaster if it doesn't change. I think 20 years ago, Philips was the largest company in Europe. You know, it's not even the top 10 anymore um, because the electronic sector has changed. So now when you invest in the long term through a diversified portfolio, it's a completely different, you're looking at capital preservation, you're looking at multi-generational, you're looking at growth of wealth over time. Uh, it's not stuck to a single business, a single sector, it's quite the opposite. You're actively looking to manage and grow that wealth. Uh, the point is, wealth typically does not last three generations. 70% of wealth is lost by the third generation. So it's really about capital preservation. And isn't it a shame if wealth is not preserved and lasts maybe at most a decade? Absolutely. It's a huge shame, especially after the sheer amount of work that went into actually building this thing, right? Uh, something I want to touch on as well is, is retirement is a concept based on age. So for people who are working with a salary, they get to 60 or 63 or 65, it doesn't matter, and they retire. For entrepreneurs, they can sell businesses in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s, 80s, doesn't matter. There is no set time when a business can be sold, which makes it quite interesting to do some wealth planning around an entrepreneur who has exited because they're not coming in with sort of a set age. And I would imagine, or, or, well, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you to explain it anyway for the entrepreneurs listening to this. You know, how do you think about the wealth preservation slash creation strategy of a younger entrepreneur who has exited versus someone who's maybe exited far later in life and is almost like a retiree, but their pension has effectively come from selling a business? Okay, firstly, I'm going to push back a little bit. Investing isn't just about returns, it's about saving. The biggest way to grow your wealth is by saving more, putting aside more when you can. So the reason I say that is your capital growth should start when your business is successful and brings whether dividends or you're able to pull more money out of the business at that point rather than just at the exit. So if, you're, if you are earning more than your, let's say call it your requirement, this could start at 30. Start building your uh, portfolio at that time, not just at the exit. Now, if a person's profile, it's very, very important what their profile is like. If that 35, 40-year-old is someone who does have a higher risk profile, is uh, understanding the... I actually don't like using the, risk, the word risks, but understands the concept of uh, investing 
then of course uh, one can choose a higher, what we say, a higher risk portfolio. What we're really saying by risk there is mostly about volatility. Because they're going to be investing over a longer period and not drawing on their wealth, that volatility can work in their favor. So how, how, how can it work in your favor, you're going to say? Well, the thing is, one needs to look at investing not day to day. That is the worst thing about public markets. It's like watching your house price day to day, having a little sign outside where denoting the difference in the price of your house. You should look at the lifespan of your investment. Okay, I will start investing today, but I'm not going to touch this for 10 years. That's really what you see in between is the opportunity cost of buying and the opportunity cost of selling your assets. That's all that that is at that specific point. So meaning, if your portfolio value drops, like recently, especially to, due to uh, expectations of Fed rate hikes, then if you're still accumulating, that means you can accumulate at a lower price. Your average portfolio price can come down rather than buying at a higher price. So uh, a younger person can invest in a portfolio like that, more equity heavy, for example. As a person progresses in age, one needs to look at also, okay, is this their nest egg? Are they going to draw completely out of it? Is this their, going to be their income for the next 10, 20 years, whatever the foreseeable future? Then uh, one can transition more into an income portfolio where the makeup could possibly be heavy in fixed income instruments, for example, and income yielding instruments. But it also, age is not, don't consider age, it's more like we have a clients who we have clients who own portions of companies still get income still get dividends they could be in their 80s so that wealth is call it a higher uh, at a higher risk profile than you would assume because the money is not linked to the individual it's now becoming multi-generational it's family wealth it's, it's moving on from one person to another and maybe even a third person. So it's family wealth and hence has to be structured the right way so the 18-year-olds don't go on a party and to, to the Maldives with it. Yes, absolutely. And those are all well-understood wealth principles. And I absolutely echo what you're saying about that journey of saving and investing. You know, we touched on it earlier that along the way to an exit, hopefully there's been dividends, etc. You know, entrepreneurs still have to or, or they, they can't live as though the exit is certain because it's not. And maybe that's a good, maybe that's a good place for us to, to bring the podcast to a close is, you know, don't, don't plan your life's financials around, okay, there's definitely going to be an exit at the end. So I'm going to live off all of my salary. I'm not too worried about saving because don't worry, my ship will come in. You know, unfortunately, 85, 90% of businesses, private companies don't sell. They can't be sold. For whatever reason you know often dependence on the owner becomes very expensive to move away from that dependence and there isn't really any equity value left by the time you've hired someone to replace you it's all these horrible common misunderstandings about what drives the value of a business so maybe that's a good place to leave it right it's just for entrepreneurs you need to build wealth over your lifetime don't just wait for the exit absolutely that is one of the first ways to diversify your wealth is at the beginning just plan whether it doesn't matter the amount just make the habit of putting it aside uh, and diversifying from that point and uh, then 
basically you can sleep well at night. Fully agree with that. So Tilla, thank you so much for your time. How do people contact you, those who want to know more, learn a bit from you about wealth management or potentially chat to you about planning for that exit and what to do thereafter? What is the best way to reach you? They can. They are welcome to email me at Attila, that's my first name, A-T-T-I-L-A at Leventine, L-E-V, a-N-T-I-N-E-C-O.com. They're welcome to visit our website and contact us through there. Um, if you Google Levantine and, uh, Levantine and Co., uh, you should find us. Or they can reach out to you, and um, I'm sure the ghosts can uh, put them in touch with us. Yes, or anyone from the team at Buzzval, really, would be happy to make an introduction. Attila, thank you so much. For your time, to our listeners, thank you for being here. Hopefully you learned something a bit different today, something about life after exit rather than getting to exit. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you on the next Bizwell podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much.